0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wild Enrichment Podcast, a podcast about zoos, aquariums, animal enrichment, and everything in between. I'm your host, Kyle Benton-Jones, zookeeper, animal lover, enrichment builder, and creator of wildenrichment.com. This is the Wild Enrichment Podcast. Enjoy. All right, everybody. Uh, Welcome back to the Wild Enrichment Podcast. And today is a special episode. We're joined with Nick and Emily, of WildThink.org, and we're going to be talking about their company and uh, you know get to the, know them a little better. So, hello, Nick and Emily. Thanks for coming on today.
1: Thanks for having us. Thanks. Uh,
0: excited. Yeah. So uh, I don't know if uh, some of you guys uh, do follow uh, Wild Think, but I've been following them for a little while, and uh, we've been. Uh, talking back and forth a little bit and decided to sort of do a little podcast to uh you know talk about wild think um, you know some of the concepts that you guys uh, are sort of uh, behind and uh, promote and uh, we'll talk a little bit about some enrichment concepts and everything like that so um, i think we'll start with uh wild think in general so uh you know maybe if you guys want to give a brief uh introduction to you to yourselves and uh you know just tell us why you guys started wild think and you know a little bit more about about the company
1: sure um so the the short answer of why did we start wild think is it was hard for us to get um jobs in the zoo world so we're like well i guess we can kind of just do something ourselves yeah um
0: emily and i both
1: went to uh, the professional science, Ma- or geez, I can never say it. Masters of Professional Science in Zoo, Aquarium, and Animal Shelter Management at Colorado State University. So we, uh, I was a year ahead of her and we met there and um, I developed the original prototype of our vending machine for my thesis. It was basically very open-ended, come up with enrichment for gorillas at this institution. And then I ended up doing it for orangutans instead. I don't really remember how that happened. And then um, Emily came by a year later, and they had kind of built a somewhat better version of what I had. And so she kind of got a little more, tried to get a little more data and get some hard numbers about whether it was useful or if it did any of the things that i was trying to claim it could do um because i spent most of my summer just building it um and then once we once she finished the program i was still in colorado and we kind of just linked up and decided let's see if someone can make one for real
2: yeah i guess the the it's kind of been a a weird journey in that we didn't really intend to ever start a nonprofit. But um, once Nick had, for his master's thesis, he was assigned to come up with an enrichment item that would um, help their gorilla troop at the zoo in Colorado. Um, So he built this vending machine, and he ended up taking it to the orangutan SSP conference. And people loved it. And people said, I want one, where can I buy one? Can I get this? So people were super interested in the vending machine. And we realized that we couldn't contract people to try to make one for us, like a legitimate one that wasn't made out of Legos. Um, We couldn't get people to contract with us unless we were incorporated as a business. So we thought at that point, might as well just become a nonprofit. So um, we incorporated in 2016 um, for the primary primary goal of creating these vending machines. But we've also kind of started doing other enrichment related things along the way as we've been looking for jobs ourselves in the field and um, kind of between things and um, people have been reaching out to us, asking for some help. So um, it's kind of grown bigger than just the vending machine, but it's been a really cool journey just to see what the needs are um, of different zoos and institutions and labs and sanctuaries and things like that. Um, So we've kind of evolved our purpose along the way.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really interesting. So it's more... So the sort of backbone of the company is the enrichment vending machine. And uh, maybe since we're on that topic, what's, what is the enrichment vending machine? And, you know, how did that sort of idea come along? You know, assuming someone hasn't already seen a video or a picture of what that is, like try to explain, you know, what's, what that even means. I wish
1: I could have like a better story of, how i got the idea but um i was kind of i drove down to the zoo with my advisor and he was like come up with some enrichment for us and i was like okay and then like as soon as we got in the car i was like a token exchange thing would be cool what if we could make it automated so we could remove the the because in my mind at the time it was kind of research you could do some interesting research questions with it so what if we could remove the human bias from token exchange studies um and then just the like several hour car ride home my advisor and i were just talking about all the different applications that could potentially come of a complicated box where you put a token in and you get some food out and uh, i guess the important thing is about the machine that we kind of try and stress is like the machine itself doesn't matter which is kind of annoying because they're um, complicated and difficult to build but uh, it's all about the token so you know the more that the grand idea is the more steps between an animal seeing a token and getting the food out of the machine the better the enrichment I guess it's,
2: so I guess if for somebody who hasn't seen the vending machine, before, um, the vending machine is a box that is designed to accept little pink tokens in the top. And once an animal puts a token in the top, they get a little handful of food out of the bottom. And that's all it is. It's literally just a vending machine for animals. Um, and we've built it to be incredibly robust so that if an orangutan punches it, it will survive <laughs> um it hangs on the outside of the enclosure so it's not in with an animal just to prevent them from messing with it which they do yeah. anyways um yeah. but it, it's basically a, a a literal vending machine so they fought they forge for these little pink tokens um around their enclosure and like nick was saying the benefit the welfare benefit is the token search itself it's not yeah. putting in you know Putting the, the token in the top of the vending machine is not necessarily super enriching because they learn to do it in five minutes and then it's done. But if you present the tokens frozen in blocks of ice or hung up, strung up in the exhibit somewhere or buried in mulch, or even we've had um, a zoo who's been training their animals and instead of food rewards, they're giving them tokens and then they can go exchange them for the at the vending machine. So it's adding, mm-hmm. it's kind of giving them more control over their environment right if they want a snack they have to work for it and it's in this thing but you have to earn these tokens somehow so that's kind of in a nutshell what it is um and like Nick said he came up with the idea just kind of on a whim of token exchange is really beneficial in primates and it's really um it's been it's something that's done in research a lot and um we know that primates are capable of doing an exchange you know trade this for this um and so that's kind of where the idea came from but it's uh, evolved since then to, when you train for tokens, can you trade color, you, different colored tokens between exhibits and things like that? Um, so that's kind of what it is. And that is the backbone of wild think in our business.
0: Right. So instead, th- so for an animal care, uh, you know, for a caretaker, instead of hiding food items, you would be hiding these tokens. And then, uh, you know, they would be able to put these tokens inside of the vending machine. Exactly.
1: And right. there's some other just kind of practical added benefits is the vending machine you know, can be in a holding where it's not sitting out in the sun. So you know you can have kind of don't have to worry about rodents, you know, the zoo it's at right now. Squirrels are always in there stealing chow and yeah. Yeah. lettuce and stuff like that. So, you know, if, if a token sits out in the sun for four hours before an orangutan feels like using it, fine that's great and you know there's also the added jackpot of they know it equals food but they don't know what food it equals so you know you slip a a grape or a raisin in the vending machine every once in a while and even if you you know offer them something pretty good they'll still take the token and go to the vending machine because maybe there's that awesome treat in there
0: right Right. And and so what sort of stage are these vending machines at as far as like, is it still sort of in the working prototype phase or, or what, uh, where are they at right now?
2: Well, we, um, so we are actually getting ready to deploy our five prototype models for what we're calling beta testing in the field. Um, So they'll be going to their homes, um, five different zoos in the US and Canada um, in March. So March and April is delivery. Um, so we've got a model that is up and running at a zoo in Colorado right now. Um, and that was our original kind of test site where Nick and I, well, Nick came up with the idea and I continue to do research. Um, but since then we've had more zoos want them and reach out. So we, before we can bring it to market and get comfortable enough to just sell them and put them in a box and say, bye, you know, there goes the vending yeah. machine. I hope you use it. Okay. I hope it works. Yeah. Um, we've got to do a lot of testing first. So we need to know things like, what kinds of foods are you using? Has it been getting jammed? Are, how do the animals like it? Um, any trouble with mounting? You know, there's a lot of moving pieces when you yeah. have enrichment, especially with strong animals like primates, like orangutans and gorillas and things like that. Um, so yeah, we're in the the very, very final home stretch of finishing up five prototypes. Um, and then they'll go out, um, for testing for some amount of time. Um, I don't know how long it's going to take us to learn what we need to learn before we can start, um, producing them for sale and bringing them to market, but hopefully within the year.
1: Yeah. And the, we've been building them for this stage of prototype. So this is really technically like prototype version three or so, um, we've had a bunch of different iterations along the way. Um, the one that's in the field now is not very different from these ones. We just took a couple notes for ease of use, basically, for the keepers um, and applied those to this machine, just making it a little more sturdy and a little more user-friendly because it, it, the current machine does what we want it to do, token in, food out. That's kind of our mantra, as long as that happens, right. We don't care because if that doesn't happen we'll have some angry apes and they'll give up pretty quick if you know if they don't get the reward um so emily and i being at, at least i did a ton of zoo internships i know emily was at an institution since she was a kid working camp and then internship and everything um half of our kind of design motto was half benefit for the animal, half make sure it's useful for the keepers, because that's probably the hardest part about enrichment is keeper time. So we wanted uh, wanted to keep that as easy as possible for a keeper. We wanted one keeper can put it up, one keeper can take it down. Uh, You don't necessarily need to shift animals to put it up. And um, it can't break.
2: Fingers crossed on that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: definitely. That's uh, that's really interesting. Yeah, because it's uh, it sounds like it would work uh, since it's on the outside of the exhibit, and you know, it's it can be mounted in a lot of different ways and work for a lot of. Because that's the, a lot of the time, um, you know, when you're trying to come up with enrichments, uh, especially you know, for me when I'm working with other other facilities and stuff. Uh, I do like uh, right now I'm doing a lot of stuff virtually and without being able to see the enclosure and the situation it's like because because you could you know you could be uh, consulting with a with a rhino care team yeah. and you you want uh, you know a bunch of rolling hay feeders or something like that but then you find out the exhibit has a moat and then right. and yeah then that's completely useless so uh, yeah being able to mount it on the outside. Will probably be able to, you know, sort of retrofit for a lot of different, a lot of different designs and, and situations.
1: We kind of went lowest common denominator for the mounting. Um, every, pretty much every ape enclosure I've seen has, you know, the the standard steel mesh somewhere. It may yeah. just be in the holding. It may be outside, but somewhere has that mesh. So the machine can pretty much fit. If you have mesh, it can go on. Um, not to say we we haven't designed something for not mesh, but it wouldn't be impossible. But that would be a little more. Common. We'd have to be able to, like you said, we we would really need to know what we're working with and where yeah. it would go and things like
0: that. And I'm sure you'd want the mesh to be somewhat rigid, so it wouldn't just you know you wouldn't just get an orangutan and just shaking the yeah. uh, yeah. sort of mesh all yeah. day, but. Yeah, you've uh, got like
1: the outside canopy mesh that's a little yeah, softer. You don't want like can't do it on that. It's gotta be the, the sturdy stuff.
0: Yep. Yeah. So uh, you know, this is uh, this this is sounds really really cool, and I'm excited to you know see some videos and some pictures of these uh, in use. Um, Us too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It sounds like how how long have you guys been working on this now?
2: Oh man. So um 2016
1: we, well I guess longer than that so I built my the lego prototype in 2015
2: and the first one was literally made out of Legos Nick yeah. the Lego Mindstorm set with a color sensor
1: oh
0: yeah <laughs> and a, um
2: yeah. and a veterinary otoscope box and built the first one out of that which is pretty impressive actually it wasn't very functional but it I was impressed by his Lego skills. (laughs) Yeah, it
1: it worked enough to be like, yeah, you know, maybe one that didn't break every time it got used would be
0: a good idea. Um, Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Proof of concept sort of thing.
1: They used to
2: the orangutans used to take the Legos out of it overnight and then you would have to trade. (laughs) they <laughs> would take the lego the tiny legos and they'd have like a hundred of them in there and the poor keepers would have to sit there and trade for each lego in the next morning and so we were we were like this is a, this is taking so much more time from the keepers than we intended this is not <laughs> this is not yeah, yeah. enrichment but yes yeah. it was enriching for the orangutans they had a blast taking the legos out so at least yeah you know, then, amen i was mad but i at least knew they had fun overnight
1: and they weren't always like chewing on them they would kind of sit there and be like i know i know these are important so yeah. it, was, it was basically the same thing we just yeah, gave them different uh, tokens <laughs> proof of yep. concept of the yeah. whole
0: thing before it was even working yet. yeah yeah um, yeah so this is this is a pretty advanced sort of uh you know this is obviously very useful for behavioral husbandry programs what was your guys's first sort of exposure to behavioral husbandry and enrichment and you guys had mentioned that you have both done internships and stuff to have you was it your program was it your like schooling programming or was it the internships where did you sort of first hear about this and <laughs> <laughs>
2: um well my first I guess i've always done enrichment without really knowing about it um knowing it was a thing um when i was younger i had ham- had hamsters and my mom um, had my mom and dad built a big play pen for the hamsters and then there was a rule that i had to take the hamster out for free range time for 45 minutes every day and you know i would build my hamster little like tunnels and tubes and things to crawl around in um and that was you know that was something that i don't think my parents even knew the term. Enrichment or behavioral husbandry it was just this is an animal and you're taking care of it and it needs mental and physical stimulation that's to keep it happy that's what it was. Um, But then, as I got older I um, I lived I grew up a couple blocks from the Brookfield zoo in Chicago, and so I went through the whole career track there Um, started out as a youth volunteer and then became um, I took an internship with the Australian animals there Um, and then did some was employed as the one of the uh, supervisors of the youth volunteer program and we did a lot of enrichment type things at that zoo um especially because it, enrichment is so fun the youth volunteers have a big hold in that and they do some enrichment builds and um, educating the public about what's that thing in the exhibit that is um you know the Bears playing with um so that was kind of my first Introduction to enrichment, but then I really got interested in it when I was um, in grad school at Colorado State, um, doing my master's in the zoo management program, and um, we had a whole class of just um, behavior, behavioral husbandry, and enrichment, and how do you keep animals happy and healthy in captive environments, and also how do you troubleshoot some of these problem behaviors, um, serious behaviors, you know, weaving, pacing, things like that. Um, Cause you can either do the enrichment kind of behavioral management side, or you can do medical intervention sometimes when it gets bad. And so we learned the difference of those and how to, how to make those decisions. So that was when we really got interested, or I really got interested. I don't know about Nick though.
1: I came to zoo stuff much later than Emily. I was always into animals and zoos and stuff, but, um, I I went to school for engineering first. So I, I transferred, after a couple of years but then I uh, eventually got an internship I think it was either my first or second animal care internship and I they, uh, you know my supervisor was like why don't you come up with some enrichment for otters and I was like what and I at the time I was like I have no idea um, and so I just kind of they gave me, like the best practices husbandry book for river otters, and I just kind of sat there reading that. I was like, oh, okay, that kind of makes sense. But um, I think the the big exposure I did another internship at Chimphaven back in like twenty thirteen, and I was there to do kind of a behavior study, but I spent most of my time working with the two enrichment coordinators there, and they had two enrichment coordinators, which is very cool. So I got to see, you know, what it could look like when you could do constant enrichment and had people dedicated to spending their time coming up with and making enrichment a little hard because they had, you know, several, at this point, several hundred chimps, but they, they, you know, every, every group had different enrichment every day. And they did some really great stuff. So that was really when um, I got exposed to the concept of enrichment. And I actually did a, a, the study I did there. Didn't tell me too much about behavior, but after going through my grad program, I was like, "Oh, that could have been really good enrichment. Damn, I should, I should have, I, I should have done better with that." Um, and then, yeah, I got to grad school. It seemed in my in my year of the program, people either got interested in like training or enrichment, and I'm a terrible trainer. I can't do it at all. I'm, I'm not consistent enough. My dogs can do some tricks, but they're pretty poorly uh, trained. But the enrichment just kind of made more sense to me. It's like, okay, if I want this behavior or if I wanna see you know, these kinds of behaviors, what do I do? What do they need to be able to express that and i thought that was just cool because i could sit there and just like think of contraptions
0: in my head and play, play with legos yeah definitely yeah yeah that's that's really cool um so uh having perused your your website a little bit the other thing that i noticed is the enrichment database that seems to be the other sort of uh side of a lot of what you guys do what is the enrichment database and you know what what made you guys think of that that's all emily <laughs> <laughs>
2: um so i came up with the enrichment database just because i well this vending machine project is taking a very long time right the product design is a long and painful process um so i wanted to as we were incorporated as a nonprofit i wanted to legitimize ourselves somehow Um, As we were kind of waiting for these vending machines to come out, because our vending machine is kind of our, our, I guess, cash cow, you could say it's our main idea and the reason why we, yeah, cash cow, Um, because we, you know, that's why we incorporated, but um, we needed to get exposure somehow. We don't have photos and videos. It's tough to get um, good photos and videos um, at zoos. You know, there's a lot of PR and um, red tape, things like that. So we didn't have... Things that we could post regularly, um, updates on the vending machine. You know, it's a as you have to jump through a lot of hoops to get permission for that stuff. So, I thought, you know, in the meantime, why don't we start legit, legit, legitimizing ourselves as a an authority on enrichment um, or kind of a resource for enrichment? I I should say not authority, but um. So I decided the the one thing that I haven't found a good example of online is an enrichment database, and there are so many people, um, on zoo creepers, which is kind of that big zookeeper, Facebook group yeah. where you're posting, Hey, I need enrichment for my tortoise or Hey, yeah, good, good bird of prey enrichment. And there's no, there's not a centralized place for for all of this. And I think if I thought to myself, you know, if there was a centralized place for all good enrichment with build instructions, materials, behaviors that elicits, It would streamline the process of people getting enrichment approved at their facility, but also streamline the process of people being able to find something that works for them. Instead of spending five hours searching the internet for something that works for you, you can go to our database and find it in two minutes. Um, So I started just kind of putting that together and I've put everything in there by hand. Um, So it's taking a long time, Um, and I think we've got like 80 items on there so far. Um, and I'm hoping to get to several hundred. Um, but I go in and I, I figure out how it's built and I write all the build instructions and then I write all the materials you need. And then I categorize it by animal and things like that. So, um, I think it gets a ton of use based on our website traffic. And I'm really glad that people are using it because I think, um, I think it's, it's necessary and something that would really improve, um. The lives of animals if keepers could spend less time trying to find enrichment to do and just build it and give it um... yeah
1: or or just you know sitting there and thinking of what enrichment I, am i going to do um is hard it's like thinking of what yeah. you want to cook it's a lot easier when you have a bunch of options like, oh, i'll try that that sounds good
0: yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was interesting for me to to see the enrichment database and you guys have done an awesome job. It looks it looks super good. It's it's funny cuz when I started Wild Enrichment uh years ago now, that's what my sort of vision for Wild Enrichment was. Like in my first if you look at like the first few pages of my articles and stuff like I had the all I did was build items and then sort of yeah. take step-by-step pictures and and, and then- material lists and everything like that and it sort of it's sort of evolved into, into something else, but it's, I, I definitely, it, it's a huge need for people. And, you know, I still, I still love doing it, but it's just, you know, it hasn't really, uh, hasn't really happened mainly because of how, of how tedious it is. So I'm hats off to you guys for, yeah. for, uh, doing that for sure. It's, uh, but yeah, it's definitely a, a huge need for people. Should you guys, uh, do a lot of the building yourself or is the, are, are those ideas from other people? Or how are you getting a lot of the content for that sort of enrichment database?
2: It's um, pretty much just stuff I've come across online and I've got a huge backlog of my own creations I need to put up there. Um, I've got some more complicated. The, the problem I think that I've come in, come across with this database is I can't do super detailed build instructions on the format it is now. Um, so I, I, there's no room for me to put pictures in cause it's just, a um, it's a page that kind of auto loads based off of an Excel spreadsheet. So without have got a huge backlog of things that I want to put in that I've created, but. Are more involved. So I need to, I think, start maybe some blog posts or something like that, that link to it. So you could go and see step-by-step, step. but you know, this is a 20 step one. We can't fit it in the enrichment database. So, um. But no, it's all stuff online and I credit, um, the source. So if you look at the enrichment name, then right underneath, um, it'll say the source. And then if you click on that, it'll hyperlink to the, a lot of it's from Pinterest, actually. Um, it'll hyperlink to the Pinterest page or to the, um, enrichment manual that I came across online from some random aquarium. Um, so it's all credited and we do have a disclaimer in there that we don't own any of that stuff. We're just compiling it all together.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's a huge, cause when I was starting to do that, like I would only use my own things and that was like super limiting. And probably mm-hmm. one of the reasons why I just, you know, didn't end yeah. up going through with it to a big extent because yeah, it's like, I, I actually have a job. I can't just like sit and build in Richmond all day. Like that would be, that would be fun. But uh, you yeah. know, there's other stuff to do as well and um, everything like that. But yeah, that's, that's, that's really awesome. And uh, you know, definitely uh definitely be linking to your enrichment database on on my site because i think that's a that's a super important thing to to have out there
1: we also have um an option for people to submit enrichment so that's really the idea is that um it grows from people submitting their their own things that they've built and we've gotten a couple submissions but we'd love to get more of just you know here's an enrichment i've built here's you know, who you could use it for, which you know, a lot of them are most animals depending on yeah, what you're building. A lot of transfer.
0: Uh, and
1: um and yeah, that's,
0: that's the idea. Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: So how would people uh you know, if people have enrichment items that are listening to this podcast that want to submit them to you, how would they how would they go about doing that?
2: We've got a link on our website. So right on our homepage, if you scroll down to the bottom, it says have an enrichment idea? Submit it on our database, and it pulls up a little form um, where you can select the animals it's for, instructions, materials, and you can even upload photos. Um, so it's super easy to do, and we've gotten a couple so far. Um, there's also a link to it at the bottom of our enrichment homepage on the database. So there's a couple different ways that people can find it, but it's pretty in your face on our website. Okay. <laughs> it's Perfect. Easy
0: to uh, yeah, I'll, I'll link to your website in my um, show notes and uh, they'll be able to. Yeah. So if you have an enrichment item that you want to submit, um, check out wildthink.org. Um, it'll yes. be in the show notes. Um, so, uh, you know, do you guys after, you know, this, this whole uh, enrichment uh, database and the vending machine, um, you know, being in this sort of world for a little while. What do you guys have for advice, um, you know, as far as people looking to deliver better, uh, more effective enrichment? Like what would be your sort of uh, advice that you'd give a lot of people?
1: I think some people don't necessarily think of enrichment in the right lens. Like they think like here's something that will keep the animal busy. And I mean, that's what it is. But when I do it, I try more to think of what, what behavior am I, am I not seeing, or do I want to see more of, and how, how can I best draw that out? So I think more goal-oriented enrichment is so, like the vending machine. I want to see foraging. I want to see kind of locomotion. Um,
2: exploration tool. Yeah, you know, all kinds, all of,
1: kinds stuff. of stuff. So that that's kind of I thought.
2: Um, <laughs> Nick's poorly trained dogs. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the, I think Nick's n- n- hit the nail on the head. Um enrichment's becoming a, a really big thing and has really exploded in the animal care field in the last 20 years. I mean, if you went to a zoo 20 years ago, enrichment wasn't really something that you saw a lot of. Um, and so it's really cool to see that zoos and shelters and sanctuaries and labs are all prioritizing it, but I don't think it's quite there yet. I think um, a lot of places are definitely prioritizing it, but I've also noticed if if you a zookeeper runs out of time or somebody runs out of time in a day, the enrichment's the first thing to get cut. And I think it's really important to remember that enrichment is just as important as your animal's regular veterinary care, right? Because you've got the brain, and then you've got the body. And we care. We wouldn't. We wouldn't uh, cut a vet visit due to time, or we wouldn't um, not give an animal medication because we we don't have time to do it, or we got tied up. But um, I think my biggest piece of advice is to to encourage people to shift their thinking to something that is along the lines of enrichment is a a mental care a mental health care thing that i need to prioritize um and it is something that again we can um we can just throw something in an enclosure and hope for the best but unless we're watching the animal interact with that item or doing some sort of evaluation we don't know if it's actually eliciting behaviors that we want it to right so Um, It's worth it to put in the extra time and make sure that this enrichment that you're giving is actually beneficial and the animals interacting with it. You know, it's not just something you check off like, oh, I gave them a ball today. Okay, done. Well, is that ball doing something for the animal? And if not, let's change it up so that you give them something that does encourage a behavior you're looking for.
1: And I think that's uh, the what to do when enrichment fails sometimes is overlooked a lot of it's well they didn't like that okay so then where do you go from there are you were you not asking for the you know are you are you not asking the right question i guess is what okay they didn't play with this puzzle feeder is this a a reasonable puzzle for the species you're giving it to why would something solve this or you know I, i think it's definitely happened to me what I think of like a cool enrichment, and then I build it. And it's more enriching for me to come up with and make than the actually the animal to use. Hundred percent. And that's.
0: And then you're
2: sad when they don't use it.
0: Yeah, Yeah, there's nothing worse than coming up with an amazing idea and then it just doesn't it doesn't translate. But yeah, yeah, I think I think the you know some of the biggest obstacles that you face you know in animal care and in really any profession are people saying you know we've tried that before. And this is the way we've always done things, you know, as soon as you hear those two phrases, it's just, you know, and, and by having that sort of goal-based enrichment program, you're able to really get around a lot of that because, you know, it kind of gets you in the mindset of, you know, reassessing how things are going, going back to the drawing board, like, you know, and, and a lot of the time, like with, you know, a puzzle feeder or something, you're not going to offer the enrichment uh, vending machine one time and then the animal doesn't use it because it doesn't know what the hell it is and then you chalk it up as a failure like i think with you know what that vending machine probably highlights and uh, the same with a lot of enrichment is some animals need a little bit of training to understand how to use an enrichment item and uh you know it's funny because the questions that i get asked the most are usually Uh, bird of prey enrichment and Mm -hmm. reptile enrichment and stuff Mm -hmm. like that and I find especially with birds of prey it's like they're not really in the mindset of looking inside of things for food items and stuff like that's just not so training them to to actually do that because you know a bird of prey in the wild is is looking in a big field and it sees a mouse and it goes grabs the mouse you know so if you put that mouse inside of a a kong or a you know, a paper bag. It, that's not necessarily something that the animal understands. Right. And It doesn't immediately translate as a yeah as something that it should be foraging for. So training the animal to to be enriched and uh, it just takes a little bit of extra time and it can really really pay off.
1: Yeah, I really agree with that. I think there's with a little bit of training or maybe a lot in certain cases. You know, if there's time, you can end up with something that is much more. Enriching in the long run than something they just figure out on their own. So that study I did at Chimp Haven I um, gave them a little hammer and anvil to crack nuts with, and I sat out in front of their enclosure and was just demonstrating. And it was just to see would they figure it out from watching me. And the answer is like over time, yes. But I just wanted to see in this given amount of time would they figure it out. But had I sat there and kind of did did it enough so that they got it and they go oh i can do this now and moving forward anytime they get you know a nut or something hard they know and they have the skill in this in their pocket that oh i can go use do this action that i'm i didn't know before so i think you can teach new skills with the right enrichment and i think that's an interesting new frontier but again time is always an issue and there's you know i can say this would be awesome but unless you have someone that you can pay to just kind of hang out with animals all day uh it's pretty tough
0: yeah, yeah. And there's definitely there's definitely challenges with that kind of thing, with with this kind of stuff but yeah as you said you know having enrichment as that sort of priority and you know, behavioral husbandry in general is just as important as your regular husbandry. And, uh, you know, realistically, like, it, like there's got to be compromises on both ends. And, you know, nobody's saying that you shouldn't do any cleaning on an enclosure, right. but, and you should just spend the whole day doing enrichment because, you know, there's, there's trade-offs there. But finding that sort of balance is, is always going to be, um, you know, super important. But, uh, and and I like, you know, talking about, building on enrichment because a lot of the time you know like novel enrichment is what's is always going to be the sort of best bang for your buck Mm -hmm. for enrichment and being able to build on and combine different sort of enrichment techniques and uh you know puzzle feeders and stuff like that is a great way to make something novel that you know out of two things that aren't necessarily novel but Sort of combining them and sort of building up your your program as you sort of adjust your goals is really going to, you know, allow you to have long-term sustainable, you know, behavioral husbandry programs. Absolutely. Sure.
1: I think uh, you know in the past 10-15 years, zoos really fell in love with training, and it's done a lot of good. And I think we're going to eventually see that with enrichment, especially as enclosures get better you have fewer that need that uh, deep clean sanitation so you have more time you know spot cleaning and then more time to do other things and I think that as we get more time to not have to worry about deep cleaning and enclosure every day I could just go to enrichment and I think you probably will
0: yeah definitely and and I think uh, you know a lot of the sort of um, transfer with training and you know how and like i definitely see that you know training is in some ways more popular than enrichment and i I think i think a lot of the time like um you know training has sort of transferred over from the domestic animal worlds um Mm -hmm. and and in a lot of the domestic animal worlds like training is the sort of primary source of enrichment like I, I grew up like on a horse farm and around horses and that's sort of the way I got into a lot of animal care stuff and nobody, I'd never heard the words enrichment or behavioral husbandry or never, I, I saw some like horse toys and stuff like every now and then, yeah. but like it's not, horse training is like that's the sort of way that most people are giving their horses enrichment and it's not necessarily, you know, behavioral husbandry and enrichment like they're just not, they're not really something that people talk about no one's tracking enrichment in the horse world right Uh, right. i mean i'm sure there are people but like you know that's not that's the exception and not the rule like people aren't um specifically targeting natural behaviors in their horses you know they're riding their horses um and that's the sort of primary uh sort of um you know and you see it like it's it's transferred over better in you know in dogs and cats and stuff and you're really starting to see um, you know, people not just giving toys to, to their dogs and cats, but actually thinking about it as, as enrichment. So, yeah. um, I feel like a lot of things sort of, they take a little while to transfer over from that domestic yeah. world. And so, yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how everything, how everything evolves. Cause even in the, you know, 10 years or so that I've been in zoos, it's, it's definitely completely changed um, yes. in priority. Yeah. So
1: Those, I think they were on your page, but when you do see videos of like large domestic animals with enrichment, like cows and horses playing with enrichment, they're so kind of strange because you, for years, we just didn't see those behaviors out of those animals because nobody was doing it. And now that they are, you see a horse like
0: rolling around on a aerobics ball and you're like, oh, wow i didn't know that yeah yeah yeah. well and you have things like stable vices and stuff which is which is kind of like you know it's it's a it's a bad term because it sort of makes it sound better than than it actually is and you know stable vices for people that aren't in um the horse sort of world is what they call stereotypies for horses and like a lot of the time like that was just sort of um understood that that's what they did and i'm sure it was like that in in zoos before mm-hmm. a lot of understanding around enrichment and stuff but you know still in the horse world there's like you know cribbing and and yeah. uh, w- w- uh, bobbing their head and all sorts of stuff like that is just a, oh that's just what you know yeah. this horse does and yeah. it's like that's that that's not necessary but in the zoo world it's like we don't, maybe it's because there's like, you know, guests and there's more public perception, but it's not mm-hmm. like, we don't just do like, oh, that's that's what, you know, this primate does. It's like, well, this is a serious problem and, you know, we need to address it. So uh, it's that sort of, that sort of mindset shift that's definitely happened in, in zoos, but probably be- because there's so much public scrutiny, which has probably benefited uh, the animals yeah. to a certain extent because there is that sort of, nobody wants to, nobody wants to see that. And everybody starts of sort of understands what it means when they see an animal like exhibiting a behavior like that. So, um, uh, yeah.
2: Having yeah. done the public scrutiny side of it, you know, cause it's not just an animal that's in, in an enclosure somewhere out of sight, you know, and it's, if an animal's doing a stereotypic on behavior on exhibit, it's usually like, Everybody drop everything, go give it an enrichment. Like get, everybody's scrambling yeah. to try to get this animal to stop doing this behavior, which is really interesting because I've been at facilities, um, I've seen there's, and it probably depends on the individual keeper too, but I've been at facilities where they have just said, this is what this animal does, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it was yeah, like sure. a regurgitation and reingestion behavior. And I'm like, Ooh, that's not a good one to just, you know, kind of brush no. the rug. Um, but i think if you have been a keeper with an animal for 5 years and that animal R&R's all the time you get used to it you 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 kind of do you, do, yeah, you know sure, yeah. it's one of those things that um i think one of our biggest um challenges as animal caretakers is is stepping back and assessing the situation like okay let's look at this behavior is this something that we really are just going to say that it's fine because this animal just does that and he's been doing it for five years, or should I address this? And it's, yes, it's more work to address it and it's going to be tough and it's going to be, it's going to require effort and it's going to require a lot of minds coming together to address the problem, but it's so much better for the animal when we actually address these stereotypic behaviors and don't just let them happen um, because they're doing it for a reason. And it's probably related to mental or physical welfare. Um, so it's our job as caretakers to address it when we see it.
1: A lot of the time they they do try and they give it a real honest shot and, but just may not be successful. And then that's kind of, you know, we, we did our best, but we didn't get it. And so once you get there, then it's kind of, you know, yeah, it's tough. You know? Yeah.
2: In, there's like an end of a road almost like, okay, well, we tried this, we tried that. Um, But, you know, I've seen I've also seen animals that have had to be put on medication from from, um, you know, stereotypic anxiety, stress, whatever it is. Um, So there's always more options. But it is one of the greatest challenges, I think, as animal caretakers is to see your animal do something like that and then have to figure out what to do about it. And enrichment doesn't always solve it, um, which is yeah,
0: especially with established behaviors and everything like that. It's much it's much easier to prevent a behavior than to sort of break, stop an animal from performing a behavior. But that's the nice thing about this sort of mindset shift toward goal-based enrichment is it really, it really doesn't, um, you know, I feel like you're more prone to get to that point of, you know, well, we've tried this and what do we do now when you don't really have that sort of goal-based and you're not Mm -hmm. collecting, you know, data about, you know, how long is this animal actually doing this for? Uh, what sort of short-term goals can we make and what sort of long-term goals can we make as opposed to, you know, just throwing enrichment at the animal and then, and then, Oh, well, we've given it enrichment. Like, what do we do now? Right. So that sort of mindset, mindset shift between, um, you know, just giving enrichment and actually having that sort of goal-based program is, is definitely, Uh, going to be going to be huge for the industry and for, you know, a lot of these animals that have these sort of behaviors. But yeah, I mean,
1: you you can say, okay, it's spending its time doing a stereotypy. What is it not spending its time doing? You know, it, it does move around plenty. It does do these behaviors, but I'm not seeing, you know, this handful of natural behaviors that maybe let's try and do our best to get it to spend its time doing that. And then maybe We'll see less of the stereotypy, so it's just about... And I think, you know, the natural behaviors of your species gets kind of lost sometimes. And, you know, like, apes climb and they make... Orangutans climb trees and make nests. Okay, what else do they do? They eat weird fruit that they have to spend time cracking open and, like, avoiding spines can you give them food that takes them or you know some kind of enrichment that takes them time and like yeah using their fingers and lips to work out how to open you know it's a, uh, I think just a pay, paying a little more attention to what should they be doing and how do we make them do it
0: or yeah how do we and that's get them and that's work? a huge that's a huge part of foraging time in, in zoos is you know like you can do things like contra freeloading with your with your animal and like you're building up that foraging time, but actually having an idea of, you know, I have this animal that is foraging, even for you know for like grazers or mm-hmm. uh, anything like that that are you know supposed to be like easier for this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. um, quote unquote. Um, yeah, you know, having an animal that's spending you know ten. 15 hours in the wild foraging for food or, or actually eating and and digesting and everything like that. And then putting them in, in zoos on higher calorie diets where they're, you know, maybe spending an hour, two hours eating, digesting, foraging, that kind of stuff. Like that's a huge disparity that you should really be, uh, you know, looking at, um, you know, bridging that sort of gap between Mm -hmm. that. And it's, and it's hard because, uh, you know, a lot of the time, like you can't, you can't source a lot of that food, those specific food items. And, yeah. uh, you know, you, you obviously can't be, you know, feeding an animal 20 hours a day, but you know, right. there's, there's ways to use enrichment to sort of try to bridge that gap and to sort of figure out what, what the ideal foraging time in captivity would actually, would actually mm-hmm. look like for sure. This yeah. is that
1: started doing uh, browse programs. I think we've seen a lot of really positive stuff from that. Um, you know it's hard but uh zoo i interned at they were just uh, local tree trimmers were like would call them yeah. like hey we just chopped down a bunch of stuff come down and grab it and you know you got to do that every day but giving something that eats leaves tree branches instead of lettuce is a huge difference
2: and there's fun ways to take browse um I used to give it to the bonobos I worked with, but I would then stick little berries on each of the branches, too. So they have to pull the you know, you can increase feeding time even with browse. Um, but mm-hmm. I think when it comes down to it, it's all about increasing feeding time, especially in these grazing animals and in animals that are spending 80 percent of their day foraging. And it, that's the that was that's exactly the point of the vending machine. Like in just mm-hmm. a amount of time they're moving around looking for stuff because that's what they yeah. do in the wild. Right. Um, So it's not a surprise that we see more stereotypic behaviors with these animals that are typically feeding. They've got long feeding times, but you don't really see stereotypic behaviors as frequently as say a koala who's sleeping, you know, 22 hours a day um, because they only eat two hours a day and that's what they do in the zoo as well. So the ones that display these more abnormal behaviors are probably doing it because they're, like you said, is that discrepancy between like wild time and um mm-hmm. yeah. activity budget in the wild versus the TV budget in the zoo.
1: Yeah. And I I think where the vending machine is comes in is it's it's really hard to increase the amount of time an animal spends eating. It's easier I think to increase the amount of time it takes for an animal to actually get the food. So it's not Quite the same behaviors, but adding as many steps or as much time from the there's food and I'm actually eating it as possible kind of bridges that gap from I'm going to eat low quality food all day.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. So that's, uh, you know, most of the time we have but you know very excited to see some uh pictures and videos of some of these uh this sort of beta testing you're doing Mm -hmm. with this in in enrichment vending machine uh you know is there anything else you guys want anybody to check out and and where can people sort of find what you guys are up to and um more about wild think Um, Well, yeah go go ahead (laughs)
2: um well we're really excited to deploy these five vending machines um we're gonna have some really great photos and videos um, and documentation of all that coming up in the spring um, when we start deploying the the machines to their homes in march so if people want to check us out um, we've we're very active on facebook and on instagram um so our instagram handle is wildthink enrichment and then our facebook page is um just Wild Think. Um, but if people want to keep up with us, that's where we'll be posting everything. And then, of course, check out our enrichment database on wildthink.org. We also have some cool resources on there in terms of um, we have a, a site called Wild Work, which is also accessible through our um, website. And that is resources for animal care professionals on creating enrichment programs, how to evaluate enrichment, things like that. Um, so it's all on our website.
0: Awesome, yeah. Well, uh, thank you guys so much for coming on, and uh, you know we'll maybe we'll have to do another. But uh, yeah, this
1: still... is a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, it's great yeah. to talk to you about all this stuff. I like yeah. to
1: get inert... <laughs> I like to get nerdy about enrichment, but not um, being in school or at a zoo
0: <laughs> makes yeah. it hard yeah like, yeah definitely yeah we like
1: talk to our designers about it a little uh and they're awesome and they're always super interested but um you know we i don't have anyone that i can just get really into the weeds with specific <laughs> things with
0: yeah definitely definitely Except for me. So <laughs> well,
1: I, i've talked to you plenty
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah well uh yeah thank you guys so much for coming on and i will uh link wild think in the um show notes and yeah we'll hope to see you guys again soon yeah, yeah i
1: would be happy to i'm sure awesome. i'm really too thanks yeah. for having yeah. style yeah yeah thank forward you so to, much uh
0: to seeing the enrichment vending machine up and running but us thank too. You it's been a long
1: process <laughs>
0: Wild Enrichment is independently owned and claims no affiliation to any zoo, aquarium, or other animal care institutions. All of the information and opinions communicated through this podcast, wildenrichment.com, and affiliated social media accounts are based on my own opinions and experiences and are not in any way reflective of the opinions of my employers, past or present. Thank you.